0: You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast, bringing you news and opinion about surf culture, characters, coaching and competition from the team at the Surf Simply Coaching Resort. For more about Surf Simply's video coaching courses, go to
1: surfsimply.com.
2: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 71 of the Surf Simply podcast. We're recording on Friday, the 10th of April, 2020. My name is Harry Knight, and with me coming remotely through the powers of technology and the internet is Rue Hill. Hello, everyone. Harry, that made you sound so old. <laughs> <laughs> Teal Beck and Back.
3: Hi guys, how's it going?
4: And Will Forster. Hello, everybody. Do you know last last episode when I did the intro, uh, you know, when we had the conversation with Martin Dunn, yep. I, I was trying to channel my
2: inner Harry with the Hello ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> it felt good. It felt good. Yeah, it's been a little while since we've done this. I think October was the last time we put out a proper episode. And now, as uh, I'm sure most of the listeners uh, will be aware, uh, we are all in lockdown here in Costa Rica. Happy Easter. (laughs) Happy Easter, yes. We're we're all sitting in our separate uh, houses doing a recording over Zoom. So this will be a little bit of an experiment. So bear with us, listeners, if it doesn't, uh, doesn't all go quite to plan. But hopefully... Through the magic of editing, this will all be seamless and beautiful by the time it reaches your ears.
0: Should anyone just mention what Rue has done
2: with his background? You should. The rest of us are all sitting in our boring spare room. Well, actually, Teal's at the resort, but me and Will are in our boring spare rooms. And Rue is floating gently above planet Earth. I've got, I've, got a, I've got a space background,
4: and if I had had more time, what I would have done is got different objects in the room attached with a pulley system and string <laughs> so that I could lift <laughs> them up to give the effect. Like Marine. <laughs>
2: yes. <was> really so <laughs> <crazy>. Floating by. <laughs> Passing you a tea. Would, would you also have made yourself a nice space helmet to talk through? Oh,
4: now you're giving me ideas for the next recording.
2: Yeah, <laughs> next recording, next business call. Come
4: on! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
3: this is the future. Did you guys see?
4: Did you guys see the priest who was doing the uh, church service? I think it was in Italy, and he was doing it over Zoom, you know, because of the the lockdown. But he'd forgotten to turn off one of the fil- uh, over Skype, and he'd forgotten to turn off one of the filters, and he had like a little space alien helmet on through the
2: whole service. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. I've seen quite a few <laughs> things like that. I did. <laughs> Actually, just going completely off on a tangent, but have you seen you can also put as your background, you can put a little video. And, uh, and so I saw a thing where a guy videoed himself walking in through his bedroom door on the computer and then played that as his background in the middle of a business meeting. So he walked in on himself. <laughs> That's really good. That's awesome. Did you
4: guys all celebrate Easter? Was that a big thing growing up? Did you, did you guys grow up in religious houses where, where Easter
2: was a big deal? Um, we used to when I was very little. We had we had to go to church on two occasions. We had to go to church at Christmas. And we had to go to church at Easter, and that lasted until we were about nine or ten. And we realised that Dad didn't go, and therefore, <laughs> 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 yep, <that was laughs> th- therefore we, we were old enough to rebel at that point and agree uh, decide that we didn't want to. So Easter was just about chocolate eggs, which I don't. Mm-hmm. Do you guys get the chocolate hollow eggs too? No, no, we don't yeah. get the.
3: No, with Easter, what we would do is go to Grandma and Grandpa's house. We wouldn't go to church, but we would decorate the the hard-boiled eggs. And then, of course, they would go ahead and hide all the hard-boiled eggs. And hopefully we would find them all because after a couple months, if one got left, I'm sure <laughs> it would not smell very good.
4: <laughs> yeah, it never occurred to me. Like doing Easter in England, hunting for the Easter eggs, you just got all day. But in Florida, there's like like a ticking bomb each one of those eggs yeah <laughs> Yeah. It gets, there's it gets a window a where there. it becomes uh, poached <laughs> the bit I never got was even as a kid was so God sends his son to earth to get lynched by these people to save them from what God's going to do to them if they don't lynch him yeah it's yeah. peculiar isn't it I don't know whatever I guess atheist or Christian uh, it must have worked because things have gone pretty smoothly ever since <laughs> <laughs> uh if you found that offensive listener i do apologize i was just trying to be glib and a bit of a smart ass and trying to make you laugh at this gloomy time
2: so um i'm guessing quite a lot of the listeners are locked down same as we all are how how's it going will you've bought a swimming pool i believe
0: we bought not not a swimming pool as such i think that that uh that's a bit too fancy we bought an above ground pool and uh we've Coined it the Redneck Riviera. Um, Jessie nice. looks so <laughs> <True> happy. Let True Florida
3: <laughs> come through. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: Oh yeah. She's uh, she's in a her uh, wild environment. I think within a above <laughs> ground pool.
4: Do you, do you guys find that you are oscillating between really enjoying the just the tranquility of a nice peaceful life, and then like the pendulum swings the other way. And you feel like close to a panic attack at the near apocalyptic state of the world. And then you sort of swing back and you're just like having a lovely peaceful afternoon.
3: Yes,
2: I, uh, I I'm swinging back and forth, but not in quite those terms. I've, I've just kind of accepted the the tragic trajectory that the world is on from about the last 10 years. And this is just another thing that happens to be impacting me a little more than other things. For listeners that don't know, we're all in Costa Rica and Costa Rica has been fairly proactive and fairly aggressive with uh, how it's handling this coronavirus thing and the we're, we're all basically on lockdown now. So the, the beaches are all closed, all public spaces are closed. We're being very much encouraged to stay in our houses and not go anywhere. Uh, right now at this point, you can only drive on one day a week. Uh, which is decided by the the last number on the license plate, number plate uh, of your car. So, yeah, I, I was able to take the motorbike out yesterday. Um, and then I think the next time I can go anywhere is Monday. So
4: It's been interesting, uh, you know, going through this process myself, and I'm sure everyone in the world has gone through this, of it kind of comes in waves what the new normal is, you know. And I'm thinking about that that last week that Surf Simply was open and, and we're now shut listers until May the 16th officially, although it seems increasingly likely that date's going to be pushed back quite a lot um, as things change. But it was on like the Monday we were talk of that last week we were open and we were like, you know, what measures can we be putting in place to keep everyone safe? And, you know, we did a bunch of things that, that involved some kind of social distancing within the normal running of the resort. And we were like, well, maybe we shouldn't even go out to restaurants and kind of cook everything in. And we were like, I guess so. And that, uh, that all seemed like really radical steps. And the world changed so much that like five days later, we had no option but to just shut for eight weeks. And it feels like there's been more and more kind of steps like that while we've been in quarantine. And I mean, a good friend of ours who I won't name, you know, we had this long conversation about, quarantine and he was like oh it's so important and social distancing and important to pay attention to the 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 scientists who and what recommendations they're making and then like one minute later he was like so we're going to do band practice later it's like no obviously (laughs) we're not (laughs) you know and i feel like your sort of your brain processes all of this stuff but then you flip into everyday life mode and you forget how many little things have been changed you know and it it was really brought home to me the other day and what i'm about to say i'm aware will not age well so you have to just uh allow me to be confessing to an error in thinking but you know my house is really really close to the beach it's about 800 meters south of surf simply and there's and you walk through this little private community and there's a short beach path to get there. and they closed all the beaches as they've done in a lot of places in the world and you know i'm i completely on board with all the reasons why the beaches were closed because of people gathering and traveling to the beach together and being incentivized to leave the city and come to the um, come to the coast but my logic was you know if I if I walk down on my own in the dark at like 5 a.m and I jump in the surf for like 40 minutes and then at 5:45 before the sun comes up on my own, I get back out, I walk up the path, get to my house. I'm, I'm, it's keeping me physically and mentally fit. I'm not seeing anyone or anything like that. And I kind of felt like that was okay. And anyway, I was doing that, <laughs> like, the first 10 days in the morning. And each day I was surfing a little longer, a little later, um, like, starting to get to, like, 7 o'clock. And then on last Sunday, the fin fell out of my board. Uh, About like five forty, and I was like, "Oh well, I'll just go up." And I came up, and I went for a run, and I got back home, and I opened up Facebook, and the police had arrested everyone that was surfing that morning, (laughs) photographed them all, (laughs) and put them on Facebook. And I really feel like I dodged a bullet there. But also, I saw so many people jump on and like, like crucify these people on Facebook as if they were like the worst members of society. And it just reminded me, like, why do we all have to be so polarized? Why can't someone write? like yeah you probably shouldn't have been surfing but i understand why you were and you probably shouldn't do it again but it's okay
2: well no but that's the thought of the silent majority isn't it yeah i guess so yeah it's 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 only the extremists at each end that actually ever say anything and the silent majority in the middle just just nod and go along
0: yeah like teal and i are doing at the beginning of this podcast
2: (laughs) (laughs) teal what have you been up to
3: I've, well, I haven't been surfing, but I've been um, exploring, kind of exploring the land around here. Like I have gone to a couple of the trails that are near the river with my dog because my dog is unfortunately depressed that she can't go to the beach either. <laughs> um, so we're both coping. Um, but I've also been doing a lot of training. Um, really?
2: You amaze me, Tail. <laughs>
3: I've been trying to figure out different workouts that are going to help, um, to go ahead and continue making the surfing better. So some, some bolster work, some Some balance work. Some (laughs) claims. Yes. You know, I just imagine getting pitted in the tube and so I'm just (laughs) (laughs) doing a lot of visualization right now. (laughs) Um, but I actually just did, Andre and I have been working together, um, and, have just done our first two video live video sessions on Instagram um, where mine is on Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Costa Rica time. Um, And it's more of a strength training um, and the the movements that are going to help you with your paddling, with your compression extension, with core stability. And then Andre is um, coaching on Thursdays at 9 a.m. 9 a.m. Costa Rica time and she's doing that mobility so we're kind of balancing off of each other with if I'm working legs she's stretching your legs if I'm working upper body she's going to be stretching the upper body which has been really cool it's been mentally stimulating and like I think there's a lot of cool ideas that are going to come from us working together and and just trying different things out which normally I wouldn't take the time to do because I'd be surfing.
4: I thought they was so good. I mean, I was just, I was so impressed. I know that you're a little nervous just before you stepped in front of the camera. And just because I know you, I could just see it, like a flash of it in the first few seconds. And then you immediately just obviously relaxed into it and just the fact that you know the topic so well and then your personality bubbled through and there was like jokes. And then I loved, there was all the comments coming in and then the comments kind of slowed down a bit as everyone obviously got into doing the workout. And then Nene wandered in, your dog, towards the end. And suddenly all the comments like, oh, Nene, you know. But yeah, I thought it was so good. We had it, we had you and Andre up on, like we... Mirrored the iPhone to the Apple TV, and then had you up on the big TV in the living room, and pushed the the sofa aside. And me and Erica and Maureen, oh, who oh. Are, who are my uh, quarantine pod, and we we had all the mats loaned out. So yeah, we're going to be down every uh, Tuesday morning, nine a.m. Oh,
3: that's epic! Yeah, I was nervous beforehand. I when I had the sign up, I was over there doing like some some jumps and shaking it out, just <laughs> <to> <laughs> get the jitters out. It's a weird thing knowing that there's people watching you, but you cannot see them. Like in a regular class or when you're coaching in front of people, you can interact. You can see what they're what they're seeing. You can see their facial expressions. And it's just because I couldn't even read the comments because I'm yeah. so far away. So I was like, I have no idea how many people are watching this, if they're liking it, if they're not. You know, there's
4: people <laughs> listening to this also. <laughs>
3: <laughs> They've been doing a lot of that, which has been really fun. And a lot of cooking. I, I yeah. have time to cook now.
2: I've been making jerky, which has been very exciting. Ooh. I love uh, jerky and I've never, I, I just didn't really know how, how it was made or anything. But um, Dennis had a dehydrator, so I borrowed that and I made myself some beef jerky, which was okay. It was sort of first experiment. and The marinade I did wasn't quite right. Uh, And I did some tuna jerky, which is really good.
4: For English people who don't know what uh, jerky is, it's like meaty chewing gum. (laughs) (laughs) It's
3: perfect for the redneck Riviera.
4: It is perfect for the redneck Riviera. (laughs) It's what you chew when you're wandering around in Florida looking for your (laughs) melted Easter egg. We used to stop for gator
3: jerky on the side of the road all the time. (laughs) Oh, you can take the girl out of
4: Florida, but... So obviously, the coronavirus has been on the front page of every magazine and newspaper and website that that you've that you've been to recently, listeners. And I'm certainly not going to try and tackle um, the more important aspects of the issue, the health crisis and the the coming economic crisis. But I do want to just talk about it in the context that has directly impacted us so far. And I and I say this: we're in Nosara, we haven't had any uh, cases yet. There's been a few in Costa Rica, uh, the Costa Rican. Government has been really proactive in shutting the country down before that infection rate went exponential. So, you know, what we're feeling here in Costa Rica on the ground is, the, is the, the effects of the shutdown and the economic impact rather than anything else. And what I've been filling my days with is trying to figure out how we navigate Surf Simply as a, as a travel business and as a small business, how we navigate Surf Simply through this crisis um and kind of keep it afloat so I just wanted to talk about that a little bit both in the context of it having raised some interesting questions for me that I think are more broadly applicable to to other businesses and also because I know a lot of people listen to the show who own travel businesses and surf schools and surf camps and you know there may be something interesting in here for you guys so I think just to contextualize things a little bit um back in 2020 12 i think it was or maybe before that we had this big earthquake here in nosara and um luckily it didn't do too much damage i remember half of danny's house moved about two and a half <laughs> inches away from another half of danny's house but for the for the most part it was all fine i was actually sitting out in the water when it happened and i may have chatted about this on the show before but it was super weird like i felt there was a like a whale or a shark underneath the water and, uh, and and its fin was kind of under my board and it lurched up and down and I, l- I looked around and everyone else in the lineup in the surf was also looking around very confused and everyone on the beach was like disappearing very quickly away from the water's edge uh, and then, you know, realised there'd been this massive earthquake. That was a, a 7.6, I think. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So... In the aftermath of that, I was suddenly thinking, you know, what are we going to do at Surf Simply if we have this extended period of time where we're not able to accommodate any guests? And I was thinking, you know, an earthquake or a tsunami were the likely candidates. But, you know, it, it could have been any number of things, um, you know, political or civil unrest or some kind of climate event. or And, you know, we were thinking about pandemics, too. And actually, solar flares are another big thing. I don't know if that's something on your guys' radar, but... Um, you know, there was this solar flare back in 1859 that basically wiped out all of the world's uh, radio communication and electronic devices for some number of weeks. And it wasn't a big deal because we weren't that reliant on them then. But these things happen every like 100, 150 years. And, you know, we're, we're completely lining up for another solar flare to happen. And, and if that happens, we could have weeks or months of no internet, no power, no communication or transport. and And actually, it's interesting talking to people now who say who saw this coming this pandemic Well, the answer is like the entire scientific community they didn't obviously know this was going to happen and exactly like this in <laughs> 2020 but they knew that a pandemic was coming at some time probably in our lifetime yeah. just as you know the scientific community knows that another one is going to come this isn't like it's not going to be this and then it's over you know we need to build a society that's pandemic resistant that knows how to quarantine itself that knows how to produce vaccines and antivirals uh, and testing kits quickly and efficiently in a way that just conventional market forces set up as they are now are not doing so you know it, i guess that earthquake really made me think okay well what are these one in a million type events that outside the scientific community most people aren't thinking about because we're all operating on this one two three four year time scale but we know these things are going to happen and we have to proof the business against them i read an article the other day in the guardian Where the journalist, who I suspect has probably not run a business, (laughs) was making the argument that regardless of any cancellation policies, travel businesses should refund all of their customers because, you know, in the short term they'll be losing money, but in the long run they'll be holding on to the loyalty of those customers. And, you know, I'm sure that there are a lot of situations where that's true, but in the words of the famous Ben Goldacre, you know, I think you'll find it's a bit more complicated than that. Most businesses, especially those that are holding on to deposits, are now left in the position where they've got one pile of money, got their cash sitting in the bank or their assets that they're able to liquefy. And, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of noise in the media, obviously, about not laying off uh, your employees and your staff. And, and, and you know, there's a huge un- unemployment crisis, like the like of which we've never seen going on in the US. Either they have to look after their team and their staff or they have to look after their customers, their clients, yeah. and the reality is you, you can't, can't do, do both, both <laughs> things. There's one pile of money. Either you look after those your staff, or you look after your clients. And there are good arguments to be made on both sides. You know, refunding your uh, customers and laying off your staff, which is what a lot of big co- the vast majority of big companies are doing, could be framed as uh, betraying your team in order to preserve your brand. But you know, doing the reverse and not refunding your customers so that you can look after your staff could be framed as betraying your loyal customers in order to just look after your own. Yeah. But, um, but I feel that, that it's an interesting dilemma and I think that there's no one right answer. I think it's different in every business and you can't make generalizations and you know, context is king when you're having a discussion like that. Now, it's worth pointing out that you don't get to make this decision now, not now that this has happened. You have to have made this decision all the way back when you first felt that earthquake and thought, what am I gonna do to help my business navigate a situation like this? And the reason that you have to have made that decision back then is because you have to have made it clear to all of your customers up front before they pay anything, this is what happens in this situation. So there's a lot of businesses out there that Didn't have some kind of policy in place which was their operating procedure if an extended period of time were to be forced upon them when they couldn't have any guests and Some of the people listening to this podcast will be the customers of those businesses and some of the people listening will be the owners of those businesses and I'd like to speak to the latter group first so you know, you've got that dilemma of whatever other financial burdens like mortgages and, and operating costs going on. And, and you know, most travel businesses still are going to have all of your operating costs at maybe not 100%, but probably 90%, but suddenly no income coming in. Um, and, you know, you've got this team of people that you want to look after on top of that, that you don't want to lay off. And then also you've got customers who've put their deposits with you that you're wanting to refund. Now, If you haven't already got a policy in place, um, it's going to be a very difficult equation to solve. You've only got bad options in front of you and you have to choose the least bad. If you're a business that operates at 60-70% occupancy, then you've got a really easy way out here, which is that you're able to offer credits to people so that they can come and stay you know, subject to availability, they can come and stay in all of those beds that would have otherwise been empty. And there's gonna be some cost to you, but that's definitely the path of least resistance forwards. If you're a customer with a deposit sitting with a surf camp or surf resort or any other kind of hotel anywhere around the world, I would encourage you to try to work with them and communicate with them. And don't look at this in terms of you've paid for a product you haven't got. It's not like you paid for a MacBook your MacBook hasn't arrived and it's still sitting in the warehouse. All of these places are still running. They're still, they still have all these costs. They're still paying their staff, hopefully, and they're still paying their mortgages and paying for their maintenance and all of these things. So hopefully they they had a cancellation policy which you knew up front and you knew what they would do in a situation like this. But in my experience over the last few weeks, I've realised that ninety nine point nine percent of travel businesses just haven't thought this through and are now completely blindsided. Now, regular listeners to the podcast will know that we chose to keep Surf Simply relatively small. Um, I won't go into all of the reasons why now, but if you're interested in episode 63, we have a really long discussion about it. And, and also there's a, a talk up on our YouTube channel uh, that I did in at the Adventure Tourism Conference in Mexico last October, all about the reasons not to expand a business. Um, so I won't go into it all now, but but in short, it's to do with the quality of the experience that we can give our customers, the quality of life for the people who work at Surf Simply, and the other and 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 some other economic factors and environmental factors, and more specifically, and this is only probably true of of surf businesses, um, or well maybe not, but anyway, the space in the water is a finite resource, and you know you it's not a sustainable industry if we all have the business model of just bringing in more and more and more people, so. We chose to keep Surf Simply small. We're essentially just a 10 bedroom hotel. Um, And that has a a lot of advantages. One of the disadvantages is we don't have empty rooms. So we don't have that luxury of being able to give away those credits to people. To give a credit to someone, it means to refuse someone else that's coming along. And uh, therefore it has the exact same cost as refunding someone and you know the way that we're going to climb out of this um, economic hole that we're moving deeper and deeper into every day is of course those new bookings coming in and those new deposits and so to give credits to people um, would mean that we have no more money coming in and and no way of climbing out of the hole but of course we don't expect our customers to bear that cost either Um, and so you know again way back in 2012 we decided to put together this Um, policy which says, you know, you have to get travel insurance so that your insurer is going to cover you in the case of something like this happening. Now, I'm quite sure that um, after we get back to normality, if we get back to normality, uh, every hotel and small business will be doing exactly the same thing. And so I would just encourage all of you, and and this is something I'm so pleased that we did, um, make sure that that isn't some long PDF with a little bit of fine print down hidden away somewhere at the bottom when you're when you're asking people to agree to a, a cancellation policy something that to them feels kind of tedious when they're excited about booking their trip it should not feel like agreeing to an iTunes uh you know agreement when you just don't read it and you click okay it should be like Big letters, clear paragraphs. You have to read and tick each paragraph. And in fact, we don't even call it a cancellation policy. We call it a cancellation policy and insurance acknowledgement in big letters at the top. So, you know, you can't claim that that's a good faith cancellation policy if you're literally making it small print. It has to be big print. The other option that you can have, of course, is to choose to give yourself a bigger cash runway that will allow you to refund people and then you don't need to have a cancellation policy which relies on your guests' insurers. Um, And that has advantages in a situation like this. It's it's probably a lot easier to talk to the people that, that didn't get insurance or have been let down by the insurers. But then the disadvantage is there too. So, for example, you can't pay your staff as well. And not paying them as well means that if you've got people that are really good after a few years they'll tend to leave. Seasonal lifestyle. Exactly. And, uh, you know, if you want to spend three, four, five years training someone to be as good as they possibly can be and you want them to stay with your business for 20 years, then, you know, you need to pay them really well and that costs money. About 90% of everything that we, um, of our revenue that comes into Surf Simply just goes right back into, mostly into salaries, but also into all of those little touches around the resort that make the experience I think really special for people and, and all of the things that you hear people talk about in those end-of-week videos, those are things that we couldn't do, both the, the, the physical things that we've bought in that made the resort nice and also that the people, which really are the most important part of this whole thing. Um, yeah, we couldn't, we couldn't do that if we had gone with the other option, which is let's give ourselves a big cash reserve so that we're, we're able to act as insurer as well as, um, you know, vacation provider. So, of those two choices, of course, we chose the former, and i 'm really pleased that we 've done it that way because what it 's allowed us to do is protect the jobs of everyone at surf simply and i 'm absolutely determined that we get through this as a team together or not at all we haven 't laid anyone off, and we won 't lay anyone off what we 've done now is is gone round, and, and as you guys know, kind of Danny and I have spoken to everyone in the Surf Simply team and have said look what 's the Lowest amount of money that you can survive on. If we shut down and we've got no income and we don't know for how long, then I've managed to set a wage level for everyone. That's what they've asked for, and it's and it's been a really interesting process because you know it, it's not just a set amount and it's not a percentage of their original wage because what they live on should be, in my opinion, ethically no reflection of their value to the business. It should be their value as a human. This is a human problem not a business problem we're trying to solve. And, you know, some people have paid off their mortgage, paid off their student loans, they've got no kids and they don't need that much. And some people have got dependents, children's spouses, siblings, they've got debts to pay and they just need more money. And I've tried to just sweep to one side all of the usual factors that you bring into place when you pay people their salary and just try to make sure that everyone's in a position where, Obviously, we're going to have to go without a lot of stuff, but no one is lying awake at night thinking, oh shit, how am I going to pay for this thing that I have to pay for? So, you know, looking after the team is a really important thing and having that cancellation policy as we have done in place allows me to do that. And actually, I say that, but something that's really moved me to tears more than once actually over the last couple of weeks is when... A specific member of the team has said to me I know that this person needs money for this and I'm prepared to go without this to make sure that they have the money they need which has made me realize that actually it's not just me looking after the team that the team are really looking after each other. This is the first time that I guess the rubber has really hit the road in terms of stress testing this cancellation policy because in usual times when people cancel we just resell their spot and we refund them and it's not a problem. But you know, this is the first time we've had hundreds of people who've, who've paid either a deposit or paid in full and we can't resell their spot, we can't refund them and they can't come. And it's been really overwhelming all of the positive feedback I've had from guests. And a lot of guests, well, some guests have, have got insurance, we've given their paperwork and they've been reimbursed and it's fine. A lot of guests have got insurance and then their insurer has sidestepped paying out for this uh with a pandemic exclusion clause which which is
2: so frustrating so frustrating like that's what you
4: buy insurance for that is exactly i agree with you harry and i guess that's a whole other conversation but you know those people i feel so bad for and to have them then reach out and say look this is my situation and it sucks but I really love what you guys are doing, and I love that you're looking after the team. And I hope you, you guys are able to navigate this, and we're looking forward to coming down again soon. Is is so moving, yeah. Um, you know, and then there are there are some people who really feel that they've never bought insurance and they didn't really take it seriously as as an option that was in front of them. But you know, those people feel frustrated. But I've I've made myself available, and I think this is important for all businesses, especially at a time like this where. You try to reach out to businesses, and you're often sent to a website to fill out a form, or sent to a call center with a long wait time. All of those people that have wanted to reach out to me, I've made myself available to, and have been on the phone with people for quite a while. You know, hours sometimes, trying to talk through their options and listen to their frustrations, and and I'll always be open to their suggestions. And the reality that I might have missed something and there may be some better way that we could navigate this as a business. So, you know, giving them my time I think is really important. And I and I talk to them about it in much the way that I'm talking now. But those conversations have been interesting and, and they've thrown up for me some really interesting questions. So one of them is when should you buy insurance? Um, Steve Levitt, who is co author of Free Economics, a lot of you guys will be regular listeners to the Free Economics podcast. Uh, Stephen Levitt said something in an interview a few years ago that really stuck with me. You know, he said, getting insurance is a bet. You're just betting on something going wrong. And if nothing goes wrong, you lose the bet. So the time that you should buy insurance is if you can't financially carry the risk of that thing going wrong. And if you can financially carry the risk, you know, still you'd rather it didn't happen. That's when insurance becomes optional. Uh, So I guess an example would be if you've just bought a $10,000 car Um, uh, but you've got $100,000 in the bank and you love your new car, you don't really need it but you're driving around in it and it's great Um, and then you crash it and it's written off and annoyed as you are, you can go out and buy another $10,000 car then having insurance that covers you for that loss isn't essential. If you've saved up for five years to get that $10,000 car, you've got $2,000 in the bank and you need that car to get to work to make money to put food on the table, Losing that car is not an option and that's when you need to have insurance. And that's the way I always think about insurance now, not just travel insurance, but all kinds of insurance. Um, I thought that was a smart insight and I just wanted to share it because we all get upsold insurance with everything that we buy these days.
2: Yeah, my dad always pushed that uh, that philosophy on me. That was always his take on it.
4: So we find ourselves in a situation now where I, I feel I'm doing the right thing by looking after the team, but I do feel bad for all of the people that have missed out on coming to stay with us in all of the conversations that I've been having with our guests that are missing out now I've tried to encourage all of them to say you know what they would like us to be able to do for them and, and while on the one hand you know our cancellation policy and insurance acknowledgement that, that everyone goes through when they book up protects us from a sort of a legal financial point of view it's also heartbreaking to see people miss out on a trip that they were really looking
2: forward to, and especially because, like a lot of them have stayed with us before, they're, they're friends of ours. Like it's it's so hard having that, being in that situation.
4: Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, we find ourselves in a position where we we want to do everything we possibly can for all of these people, but we don't know how much we can do yet because anything we do has a dollar figure attached to it. And the longer this crisis goes on for, the deeper in this financial hole we're going to fall, the same as every other business. And the harder it's going to be to climb out and the less we'll, able, we'll be able to offer people. So I'm encouraging all of our guests to kind of reach out to me and come up with suggestions. And people have talked about all kinds of things, you know, priority on cancellations in the future, online coaching, and a whole host of other ideas. And we're kind of putting all of those ideas down next to the people who've asked for them. Um, and then when this is all over once we know how much we can afford to give you know we're going to be obviously falling over ourselves to try and give as much as we can to all of the people that have missed out but you know i'm I'm honest with all of those people that we can't make any promises now because we don't know you know how big that that (laughs) how big that pot's going to be at the end um, and we don't know what we're going to be able to give so right now everything's going in a big think tank and then we're going to open that up when Maybe not when this is over, but at least when we can see the finish line um, and then we know what we can give to people. And, and in spite of the fact that, you know, legally we don't have any obligation to do it, obviously, emotionally we want to. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just, just out of out of common human decency, we want to do everything we can. So, so we're taking ideas, putting them in a pot, and then we're going to look at all that, you know, w- once we think this thing is nearing an end. Finally, I'd just like to put it out there that um, any other business owners that are in a similar position to us i'm really interested to hear your thoughts so please don't hesitate to reach out with me and and tell me how you're navigating this and what challenges you've had you know i've tried to lay out for you here my thinking both past and present on on how we're navigating this um and i i do feel that we've done it in the right way but i'm also very aware that This whole situation is changing so quickly and is so unprecedented that anyone that thinks that they've got all of the right answers now will uh, certainly be shown to be wrong or at best naive at some point in the near future. So, you know, this is a steep learning curve for all of us. Um, Someone once described running a successful business to me as systematically avoiding catastrophe and I think there's no better example of that than right now and And this is something that we're all having to do together.
3: I had the opportunity to read Bonnie Toy's new book, Why We Swim, while um, we've been in quarantine, actually. And how appropriately timed that read is. Um, and, And so I ended up doing a bit of an interview with her yesterday. And we just got to really get into the the nitty-gritty of, of what her book is and how she went about researching it and what some of her really cool finds were um, through her research.
2: And uh, regular listeners might remember we've, we've interviewed Bonnie before in the past. She did a bunch of research with some female big wave surfers and we uh, interviewed about her about that and at the time she mentioned she was working on a book about swimming and and people's affinity with the water so uh yeah we just thought that with the the book uh, being published next week it would be a really good time to uh reach out to her and uh, and get some follow-up on that also we are just big fans of bonnie because she's just an epic human being she's amazing yeah so anyway uh here is that interview
1: <laughs>
3: How are you doing today, Bonnie?
1: I'm doing pretty well, actually, all things considered. Thanks, Teal. <laughs> I'm excited to be talking with you guys. Yeah, it's good to see your face again. I know. It's, I can't believe, actually, I was thinking, I was talking with our friends, Caroline and Sarah, who uh, were our return guests um, back in February, and I cannot believe that was um, two months ago. Absolutely ridiculous that we saw each other two yeah. months ago, and so much has changed. Anyway, we're all grateful to be to have had that before this current moment, and also to be safe and well. So I, I'm glad to see you guys,
2: Bonnie. For the uh, for the sort of podcast listeners, as you say, you know, we we, we actually uh, saw you down here a few weeks ago. But um, for the podcast listeners, the last time that we spoke, you just written an article uh, about big wave surfing, which yes. we kind of covered, and you mentioned that you were writing a book, which we're going to talk about shortly but but what else have you been up to since uh, since you were last on the podcast
1: um i have been um pretty full-on working on this book that we're going to talk about today called why we swim and then i also started um working on a children's book about um the big wave surfer Sarah Gerhart that's going to be out next year. And so we've got some really fun projects in the works. um, And at the moment that we are speaking right now, Why We Swim is going to be out in five days, which seems ridiculous because it has been a long time coming. That's uh, amazing. Yes, it, it's for sale. It's for pre-sale
3: right now, right? Yes.
1: Uh, so we are, what is it? April 9th. It publishes April 14th, but books are already shipping out from different bookstores. So order your copy.
2: So yeah, Bonnie, before we get too, de- too into the details of the book. Um, could you give us the uh, give us the the, the, the back cover blurb of it? What, what is the book in in your own words? And and I and I guess as well. I think we spoke about this the last time you were on the show. But, but what is your background as a as a swimmer?
1: Uh, sure. Um, so first, the book is a cultural and scientific exploration of our human relationship with water and swimming. So it basically is sets out to answer the question of why we swim. Um, in a lot of different ways, Uh, and first and foremost for survival. And then once you can survive the water, of course, then swimming can be so much more, right? So we've talked about um, this arc, this narrative arc of the book that goes from survival to well-being and health to community, competition, and flow. And so all of the stories kind of move in that direction. And my own background as a swimmer, um, I grew up, swimming on the swim team became a lifeguard swam in college but not competitively I stopped competing once I got to college but I also once I got to college I rode crew and played some water polo right and then I went back to swimming I just you know I couldn't get away from the water and now I look back on it and I think that was very obvious that I was just sort of figuring out different ways and, and seeing if I liked it and then going back to swimming and then of course coming to surfing a little later in life I think at the end of my 20s actually and so I've only been surfing for about 10 years more in earnest and certainly a lot of that was spent with you guys at Surf Simply. <laughs> I love that.
2: And uh, and and so how long has this project been how, how long in total have you been working on this You one? know
1: um someone asked me that the other day and I you know I thought about this book for a long time for for a long time before I even started to put it together and 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 put together a proposal so I think I started thinking about it maybe 6 years ago um because I wrote an essay for the New York Times about swimming and how swimming and being underwater is one of the last refuges from connectivity. You know, you're, you're in the water. I mean, same with surfing, right? You're just out there. You're just by yourself or you're with the people who surround you in the water. And, um, and there's something very liberating about that. Um, but after I wrote that piece, there was a really big um, reader response. And I thought, huh, maybe this book about swimming is a viable project after all. And so I kind of started to think about it. And a couple of years ago, actually about almost three years ago, sold the book and then um, started writing it. And then here we are. I
3: guess that leads me into, you did a, quite a bit of traveling and research for the book over these yeah, past six yes. years. And I was just wondering, after reading the book, there's so many cool facts and interviews and just stories and, and your own story. Um, I was wondering what were some findings in your research that really surprised you
1: as you were going through it? That is a, a really good question. I mean, so much of uh, what I found out, both from like specific about specific bodies, you know, specific unusual evolutionary quirks in in different people, and particularly amazing swimmers who are extraordinary. In, that, in their swimming ability, and but also in what remains in the rest of us normal humans um, uh, in terms of how we respond when we're immersed. When our faces are immersed in water, we have all of these um, built-in reflexes that still sort of throw back to when we were of the water, you know, before we were who we are. So um, I guess one of the things, one of the stories in the book um, – has to do with cold water swimming and uh I mean when I say cold water I mean free you know forty degree water um and most most of us would um, die of hypothermia within twenty thirty minutes, but this guy survived. More than survived, he was able to swim six hours in this water and didn't and came through it um, with just a little dehydration. <laughs> and that's you know and 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 just finding out crazy facts like that um, and 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 asking scientists and researchers about why, how is it that we're able to um, make it through these extraordinary circumstances was really eye opening.
3: That story, when I was reading it, um, the the opening chapter was just gripping. Thanks. Um, That's one of my favorite, cl-
0: favorite
1: yeah. of
3: the book. Uh, well, and and you actually traveled over to Iceland.
1: Yeah, to meet him in person. And so this a little bit of background on the story um, for our listeners is um, in 1984, this Icelandic fisherman um, named Gudlager Fridthorsen fell overboard um, when his fishing vessel uh, overturned and everyone else on the boat died, um, but he managed to swim six hours in this freezing water um, to safety on the island where he lives. And he um, became this really famous figure worldwide. There were medical journal articles written about him. People came knocking on his door to ask him to tell uh, his survival story. And he it turned out that he had um, his fat layer was two to three times normal human thickness. So it was reminiscent of a of a seal.
2: Was he a chunky chap or was he uh, (laughs) was he sort of a a normal build person that happened to have a lot of fat? Right. He's. You know, by the end of this, by the end of this lockdown, I (laughs) think we will all have uh... two or three
1: times normal human (laughs) thickness. It's true. Can we acquire that ourselves? The problem is we would acquire it in the wrong places. And he had it in his, you know, his insulating his core. So he didn't die of hypothermia um but i don't know if you want to run that experiment right now harry <laughs> 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 this could be the
2: greatest moment it might be a little tricky finding cold water in cluster
1: yeah Uga, exactly um it is interesting because he you know he was the first person who was ever found to have that happen or have that be a biological quirk in his in his physical makeup he was he's a big guy i mean he's 64 um but he wasn't i mean he wasn't he was a twenty two year old kid I mean he was um a big guy, but he was not unusually so and um yeah and 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 since then you know there have been lots of swimmers like lynn Cox you know she's uh she is a renowned um open water cold water swimmer, and she swims great distances is able to actually really he she there are some experiments they've done where they've put her in a in a cold water jacuzzi and she, when she gets in. Um, she's able to heat up the water with her body heat. Like it, she's able to raise the temperature of the water. Uh, and, and there's so many interesting, um, she, ha- she actually wrote a book about um, her experiences doing all these kinds of um, uh, research e- experiments um, because she is also an individual who has um, really extraordinary uh, uh, body characteristics that make her an exceptional open water long distance and cold water swimmer. So, um I mean it's fascinating. It's just great stuff. So my question
3: kind of from that you have so many really amazing stories and interviews with with really cool people. Can you tell the listeners what kind of was your inspiration for this labor of love of 6 years?
1: Sure. Well, you know, I think it all has to kind of go back to my parents. I mean, they instilled a real love of swimming in my brother and me growing up. And they have this wonderful meet cute story where they met in a swimming pool in Hong Kong. And my dad was a lifeguard and my mom was swimming. And we grew up with that in the back of our heads. (laughs) Um, And we grew up swimming from a very young age, taking lessons, swimming on the swim team, becoming lifeguards ourselves. And so that I think just personal framing of the book is very much present. Um, But in terms of filling out the entire arc of the book with stories, extraordinary stories of just human survival and well-being and healing and through swimming and community and competition and flow, these are sort of the, these are the thematic baskets, if you will, um, in which all of the stories in the book fall into. Um, and they're basically different ways to answer that question of why we swim. And, um, I think I spent, I mean, I, I, I wrote the book ultimately because I couldn't not write it. I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I, when I said earlier that I thought about it for a long time, I struggled for many years, sort of in the back of my mind, how to organize such a book it, like you said there are so many stories there are a little, there's a lot of information in it there's a lot of research um there are a lot of great characters and I wanted to put that all in the book but how do you do that without it being just a hot mess right <laughs> that, that that no one wants to read and um a really smart editor friend of mine I gave her some writing that I had just kind of put together um once I'd started just writing to see how it felt and she said you know you have such great stuff here why don't you just call it something as simple as why we swim and that way everyone knows what you're doing from the start and it just made complete sense and everything that I had just kind of self-organized into those five thematic sections that I talked about and so you'll see with the book now you know it's a it It just kind of flows from beginning to end um, from one section to the next in a natural way, but that took a lot of effort uh to make it you know move in that in that narrative um, that makes sense because it just um but once it did, and you know, once that question was posed to me, then I could organize my thoughts around it. And so that's how it came to be.
3: The book definitely has a beautiful flow to it.
1: Thank you. Or so
3: I thought as well. <laughs> um, my my other question for you is, how, how has this book changed your relationship with swimming and surfing and just interacting with the water in general?
1: You know, I um, am just so much more present. I... I am noticing everything. I just am in the moment enjoying the light, you know, the the sun rising, the animals swimming, um, what the water feels like, what, um, you know, what I can see and what I can just feel if I close my eyes and what I can hear. And I think now, every you know, every dawn patrol I go out to, every morning swim I hit the pool when the pool is open, (laughs) Um, that I know... I notice and I appreciate what's happening. And I'm very grateful, I think, because I I spent a lot, I used to swim and be very just, um, I think a little bit mindless, I would just sort of count. And you know, and that comes from, from being on a swim team, you're just counting laps, you're figuring out your workout, you're working on splits. And now when I do get into the pool, the nature of what I do, unless I'm in a, a practice with my team is that I let my brain rattle on and then it kind of peters out and then I just sort of start noticing things and it quiets my brain in a really lovely way.
2: It's really interesting what you're saying there because I think as listeners who know me well will understand, I'm not the uh, most fit or athletic of human beings, but um, I, I swam a fair amount uh, when I was younger and given the option to, of you know ways to stay fit, I would probably go for a swim But Mm -hmm. the thing I hear from a lot of people Mm -hmm. is, oh, I hate swimming. It's so boring. You're just going up and down the pool. So it's, it's interesting to hear you say that, that, you know, having done all of this research and spoken to all of these people, that it's really changed your experience in the pool, especially given how much experience you had beforehand.
1: Yeah, I think it's because I, I started to interrogate as I was swimming, why I was doing it or what I was getting in the moment. And with that reason for noticing, um, it really heightened my appreciation for what was actually happening as it was just that I wasn't really thinking about it. Um, and then now, because I'm more conscious of what's, what I can what it can be and how enjoyable and pleasurable, um, a swim can be on all these different levels. Then I think it's, I'm, I am more, I am more ready to give myself over to it. And, and that's not to say that sometimes I don't get in the pool and I'm just you know, not wanting to grind through some workout. In my mind, it feels like a grind, but that now I know that wall will, I will get to the other side of that wall relatively quickly. And that's nice.
3: (laughs) Definitely. Have you been able to get into the pool or in the
1: ocean in the the recent weeks? Um, I, the pool closed relatively early on, unfortunately. Um, But I have been able to get into the ocean Really, really early. I mean, I've been getting up the most early that I have ever gotten to get there before. um Really, when it's still dark and no one is out, and so that's that's the medicine I've been taking. And you know, and then as soon as start people, I start seeing people rolling out on the sand. I, I, I get out and I go home. I am heartened by the fact that I've been able to find a little bit of solace every few days to get out in the water.
2: What is the uh, what is the sort of lockdown situation where you are?
1: They are closing. Well, it depends on where you are in the state of California. So I'm in the Bay Area. Um, I know that in Southern California, they actually shut the beaches themselves. Um, they shut them fairly early on because I think people were congregating on the beach to a really dense uh, concentration of folks. And I think I actually think it's because up here in Northern California, it's colder, and there's not we're not used to kind of rolling out onto the beach wearing bikinis and just you know, lying out on the towel for for hours and hours. You get out, and it, it's foggy, <laughs> and you don't really want to stay there long. So I think that it's just less people. They've been progressively shutting the beach parking lots to kind of cut out much of the crowds. It's still open to us, um, but I think if 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 we continue to be smart about it they will let us continue that way.
2: No, so cool. That's
1: awesome. Yeah, we're so lucky. I mean, I couldn't believe it when I heard that Nosara had I had been I had been speaking to Rue when, when you had decided, okay, we you know, now we have to be proactive, we have to shut the resort down for several you know, eight weeks, I think it was the time when we spoke. And he said, Well, you know, at least we get to surf. And then I, I don't know if it was a week later when when it was just, okay, all your beaches are shut and I just could not believe yeah. that. How have you both been handling it? With your just what have you been doing?
3: So it's forced me to explore the area that um, I live in a little bit more inland rather than to the beach. But I have to admit, r- when everything was going down, was when I was reading your oh. book. And there were certain times that I was reading it and I was just like, she gets this is exactly how I'm oh. feeling right now, not being able to go in the water, but like that drawing. Mm-hmm towards the water it was just i get chills thinking
1: about it because that makes me happy it was just really spot on even though i i I simultaneously feel sad that it made you feel that way because it was it's a pang right you (laughs) you miss it in a very visceral way yeah i know i do with
2: that note you know one of the one of the core things that you were talking about in this Mm -hmm. book is this kind of slightly weird draw that humans seem to have Mm for the ocean given that we are land-based animals we are not perhaps the most suited to floating around in the water and yet yet. almost universally people are drawn to water and actually you know from mine and teal's perspective as lifeguards Mm -hmm. uh you know a lot of people who even don't swim and haven't spent time around the water still
1: right and they're very foolhardy (laughs) then when they do it well i i mean i i think
2: there's foolhardy or there's just you know not aware of those dangers but You know, I, I, I'm interested in researching the book. Have you found sort of clues and things for, for why it is that we're so drawn to the water? And, you know, I'm assuming that, you know, that's going to be very true for all of our listeners, um, you know, whether it's surfing or, or, or jumping in the water for a swim.
1: Oh, for sure. Um, you know, in one of the opening scenes in the book has to do with um, Jones Beach in New York, where I grew up swimming and going to the beach with my family as a kid. And, you know, on a hot day in the summer, 100,000 people will be there. You know, it is, like the aerial views of all of the people on the beach talk about density. It is unbelievable and really beautiful. But it is, you see the aerial view and you think, this is all the animals going to the watering hole. This is our draw to, we need the water. And even if we're not thinking about it too much, there's something about, uh, obviously, we need it to survive as as uh biological <laughs> beings, but um that there's something also very mesmerizing about the water that even if, like you said, Harry, if you don't really swim or you don't think of yourself a swimmer, you still love to go and walk on the beach and and listen to the ocean and you're mesmerized and you're 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 lulled into a sense of meditation. Uh, and, and it's because the, the seeing the water the and the sound does something to our brains. it really like we I, there's one of the one of the my favorite sections in the book um about flow and and just sort of our relationship to how we how the, to the water and how we respond to it from a from a physiological but also a psychological standpoint um the science writer florence williams uh she writes about she she talks about our how our bodies are built to resonate with set points in the environment and i love that so much in that we respond to green spaces blue spaces especially and um i really you see that when this is why we build houses on the beach despite horrible hurricane warnings and and erosion and you know it's like global warming and, and, uh, oceans rise. Like we do all of these things in a, a sort of irrational way because we all know on some level that we need that. It is, it helps us. It makes us feel good in some way that if we haven't thought about it too much, we can't put our finger on it. But once you look into, there's quite a bit of science out there about how we, our brains respond to water. Um, and even just looking at it, even if it's virtual, um, you know, Wallace Jane Nichols is the the blue mind evangelist, right? So he wrote that book about how that is important to our mental health as well as physical health. And so we, yeah, we 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 all, whether or not we call ourselves swimmers, we all have a relationship to the water that is a very special and fascinating thing to interrogate. And that's why I wrote the book.
3: Very cool. Is there anything
1: that you hope they gain from from reading this book? Um, I guess just that there's something for everyone in it Um, and and one of the wonderful experiences I had while writing the book is that whenever I would tell someone what I was working on everyone has a very passionate response either they all say oh you know that's so wonderful i i love swimming i i went to summer camp when i was a kid and uh we always swam at this lake you know and i just remember this lake and it's my favorite place ever or on the op- opposite end of the spectrum someone will say i am so scared of the water i almost drowned and i have always wanted to be a better swimmer but i'm really afraid and i'm thinking about trying to take lessons and um the greatest compliment people have been paying me in reading this book, um, I have heard people say it made me want to start swimming again, and they have done it. <laughs> and so that is just uh, the best compliment. And so, at least I think I've done something right if I've if something I've written makes people want to go get in the water. And even though now you know it's harder to to find the water to get into, um, you know it's still possible. And on the other side of this, I want people to want to do it. Very
2: cool. Yeah. I mean, good luck with the book launch. Um, it looks like it's going to be a little bit of a success. Oh, yeah.
1: thanks for... That
2: was fantastic. Thank you for uh, jumping on with us. I know you're going to be uh, super busy right now.
1: Yeah. Um, this was, was like the perfect day to do it. So thank you for making the time.
2: No, absolutely. It's our pleasure. And um,
1: take, yeah, care. take care. Of yourself. Ciao, Vani. You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast.
0: Well, this is kind of me welcoming to you guys to another episode of Will shoehorning F1 into a surfing podcast. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's that's your problem um, rather than mine. Um, and <laughs> this really, this episode for me goes goes out to Russ McGrain, one of the Surf Simply guests, because me and him kind of geek out on F1 subjects every, t- every time he comes to the resort. So um, I, I do wonder if a lot of guests are into Formula One or not. Can I just say a quick thing? Yeah. Russ McGrain
4: listeners, if any of you guys watched our video from when we took a bunch of guests up to Surf Ranch. Russ McGrain is, I believe he's in his mid-60s, and he started surfing around the age of 50. And uh, when we took him to Surf Ranch, he got completely properly barreled. And uh, it was just, like, so freaking cool. You know, the idea that you can just start surfing at 50 and then go on to be getting barreled 10 years later, I think is, uh, yeah, really cool. Anyway, that's Russ McGrain, If you guys that, yeah. that follow surf
0: <laughs> and stuff closely. I love Russ McGrain. However, he is a Ferrari fan um, and that just doesn't sit well with me. So, uh, Russ, if you're listening, um, you know, let's change that. Um, so I wanted to talk about what we can kind of learn from aerodynamics generally kind of motorsport aerodynamics because that's where all the funding and that's where all the r &; d is and i kind of I've took a few areas particularly rather than talking you know in length about lots of different subjects and you know first of all i'll just kind of say exactly what an aero designer is attempting to achieve so we can kind of establish that early on um, the first thing is low drag i mean it, it's kind of obvious really but you know the the designer's job is to ensure the car cuts through the air with as little disturbance as possible we want smooth uninterrupted airflow Um, they also need to have the car provide downforce for grip through corners and provide cooling to the engine they're kind of the three main points that the designer is, is trying to achieve and You know, since we don't have an engine on the surfboard, you know, cooling isn't particularly necessary unless your arms get a little warm during the process. I don't know. (laughs) Get a little spray of water just Um, to perfectly hit your armpits as you paddle. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But certainly the first two points, low drag and uh, the downforce. Now... You know, we need low drag, of course, for efficiency. We want the board to cut through the water as cleanly as possible. Um, and in our case, we actually need lift rather than downforce. They lift and downforce are kind of the opposites, but they work in in similar ways. It's it's essentially either the air or the water pushing up on the on the wing or the board or whatever it might be or creating a big enough pressure difference between two sides that the actual pressure pushes you up or down in the case of a race car so certainly the science behind low drag and then providing downforce are are going to be interesting to us or useful to us so um now the surfboard really is already as hydrodynamic as a shape could be. You know, it's pointy at one end. It kind of gradually widens and then gradually thins um, to the other end. So there's not a lot we need to change necessarily about the shape. If you were to strip all the, 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 the fins and the gills and the wings and all that kind of stuff off a Formula One car, Um, you would notice that the shape is the same. It's got a pointy nose cone, it widens for where the the cockpit is, where the driver and the engine is housed, and then it narrows towards the tail. Um, And, you know, they're both designed in that way for a particular reason, because it's an efficient, low-drag shape. Is it reasonable
4: to say, because obviously a Formula One car is going quite a bit faster than a surfboard, but is it reasonable to say that because water is so much you know, thicker and there's so much more resistance that the actual shape yep. of things is, is um, fairly analogous because the sort of resistance that a car is having through air at 200 mm-hmm. miles an hour is not that different from the sort of resistance that yep. a surfboard is having through water well, at 10 or 20 miles an hour. Yeah
0: that's ri- an that's a, a incredible point actually I don't have that written in but I do roughly know the figures now I think water is about 800 times denser than air and what that means is actually a car only needs to travel at about 70 miles an hour before the consistency, the viscosity, starts to be similar to water. Um, and Formula One cars, you know, they they go, you know, more than 200. And by the time you get into the, you know, 120, 150, it starts to the the thickness of the air actually starts to represent treacle and it gets kind of thicker on from that point so that's a great point you're absolutely right well
4: i'm really surprised that the speed is as low as 70 that's incredible
0: yeah, I know. But if you imagine sticking your hand out, out of the window when you're driving on the freeway, the you know, you can feel that <laughs> thickness in the air as you do. I'm, to listeners who can't see me, I'm doing that up and down <laughs> thing you do when you stick your thing. arm out of the window. Yeah, yeah. Um, So it's easy to imagine if you think about it in that respect. Now, so we've got some similarities, uh, which is great. Um, but obviously, the surfboard doesn't have the fins and the gills and the cutouts and the wings and all that kind of stuff. So it's worth questioning why. Because, you know, fluids generally work in similar ways as far as resistance and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I'm going to explore a couple low-tech, uh, non-mechanical solutions that Formula One use that could potentially help us with, with surfboards. I mean,
2: is, is, is a large part of why surfboards don't have this, you know, I, I guess the, the really big difference between how Formula One Uh, teams approach this problem and how surfboard designers approach this problem is that in general there is no similarity between how they approach these problems you know the amount of research Mm -hmm. and development and engineering and computer modeling of uh, of of all the environments that goes on to design an f1 car and make it you know a hundredth of a second quicker than the the car that was being used Mm -hmm. last year compared to you know surfboard design where you know really we don't do any computer modeling at all there's one guy in Italy that I, I actually I'd love to try and get a hold of and, and see if he'll come and talk on the podcast but he's been doing some some you know computational uh, flow stuff on surfboards but I mean other, otherwise nobody's doing any.
0: Yeah not at all and you know we're we're still surfboard designers are still kind of working within one fairly narrow parameter and that's the The outline, really, you know, of course, rocker, volume uh, and other things that go into it. But ultimately, we, you know, in in like the mid 70s, basically, that's kind of where Formula One went from being shape and outline and volume into being right. What else is there left that we can exploit? And that's when downforce started to come into it and ground effect and all these fantastic you know, innovations from the the uh, Lotus Formula One team who made the skirts for, uh, you know, ground effect and things like that. So maybe we're, you know, you know, with uh, people like Kai Lenny, who I'll talk a little bit later on about, who started to use, you know, certainly Formula One influenced um, technology, maybe we're at the transitioning point between where you know where where formula one, 1 was in the 70s we might be at that point now so um and you mentioned the italian scientist riccardo rossi um, not, not the motorbike driver not <laughs> 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 no no, no. Um, valentino rossi oh, all right was. but in if we look at his images and i'll i'll include in the show notes um, a handful of links to do with that there's kind of two areas that that uh, show up as being high pressure high turbulent Areas which we can potentially address by using some of these, you know, low cost, low tech race car solutions. And, and this is in all motor racing. It's in cars generally, some of these solutions that, that we'll talk about. But the two areas we'll, we'll kind of have a look at from his data is where the water flow first hits board for the first time so it's behind the 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 point of the nose it's somewhere where the rock entry rocker softens um and where somewhere maybe where the chest is something like that Um, and essentially the water that's flowing towards us, or that apparent flow of water it's not an actual flow because we're moving towards it it hits the board and it kind of becomes confused becomes turbulent and it, it it makes what would be a high pressure area and that's what essentially drag that, and that's yeah. that that would be frontal drag wouldn't it if, if we're getting that, really absolutely. Technical it, it it is it's almost you know it's one of those things where we talk about a flat board being faster than a board with a high entry rocker things like that we already know that this you know we knew this before we had any data you know computational fluid dynamic uh, data but it's never really been addressed other than say a single concave or less rocker or you know they're the kind of solutions that we put in at the moment if we want a board that paddles a little bit faster or a wider outline something like that. So is the water that's coming off th- that first
4: interaction that it has with the board is that a kind of a a clean vortex or is that more like analogous to what you might have off the foil of a race car or is it more like the dirty air more analogous to the what comes off the tires yeah. of a race car?
0: It's it's obstructed air, so it's normally turbulent and erratic. It's not vortex. The the yeah, it's that's basically it. Now then, I've talked about that front portion, that 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 frontal drag there, um, and then the second amount of uh, high drag that's on a surfboard is actually where the water flow leaves the board. So we have the flow entering the board and then we have the flow exiting the board. And they're kind of the high, two high drag, two high turbulent areas on the board that I'm gonna offer up just four solutions um, to, to see if any designers listening might have a crack at, uh, uh, at using these. So, um, so we'll talk first about the flow entering the board. Now, when that uh, water or air or fluid generally builds up, we call that a boundary layer. Um, And again, it is just that turbulence. Um, And so what we want to attempt to do is try and reorder that air. Now, I actually delivered this podcast piece to Derek over the phone yesterday. So I could, you know, just make sure that it made sense to anyone listening. Um, And I explained this kind of thing as I am doing to you guys. And he used the most amazing analogy that just popped in his head. And it's the clearest way to describe this. It's essentially having knotted hair and you want to run a brush through it right there's the problem that's the solution all right and it's i think that's just such a wonderful way i don't know if derek will listen to this episode but thank you very much derek the most common solution that that motorsport generally or car car design generally use is called a diffuser and it's a really simple system it's essentially just a series of symmetrical fins that give the air or the water direction right it acts as little resistant tracking barriers that like the comb bristles can help reorder that air and and uh direct it in our case from nose to tail now they're only perhaps a half inch you know the base is only a half inch base is only an inch they're tiny tiny little fins but in series from width you know across the width of the board they're an incredibly efficient solution to reordering that that turbulent air and actually the they're Already used in surfing. kylenny as I mentioned earlier, he has this system on his board. Is, is that is
4: that the Minx is it called Minx? Is that the company? Absolutely. It's
0: the yeah, yeah, it is the, the Minx system, yeah. Um and both him and Carissa have been kinda of testing them and playing with them. They actually use them in a different location, now again I'll talk about that a little bit later. But you know, the, a diffuser, cars use them all over the place. Whenever you have dirty air, you know, you can, you, they don't have to be in, uh, you know, vertical, like we would imagine them underneath the board, like a normal fin setup. Um, you can use them horizontally as well. So Formula One cars have them on the sides, they have them on the front wing, just to help redirect air. And you mentioned the dirty air from tires, you know, that high turbulent area just behind the wheels. Um, they, Formula One cars have barge boards, which do exactly what, the diffusers do they they redirect the air in a way that either delivers it around the car you know to, to uh, keep the air touching the surface low pressure rather than high pressure um, but that it's a really great uh, solution another system which helps to reduce that high pressure that high turbulent air underneath the chest there is called a uh, an s duct And the S-duct again is very simple. It might not work in surfing and I'll explain exactly why, but it's essentially just a a duct or a tube that releases that pressure. It's not mechanical. It's just literally a hollowed out portion of the nose of the, the Formula One car as a air escape point for the high pressure dirty air. Now in surfing, it might not work because we don't necessarily want high pressure water being shot out from underneath the board up towards the the paddler the you know the person on the board um, but someone with you know someone who's a little bit more inventive or creative than i might be able to use this as a solution maybe you know the the water the high pressure water runs up this duct and then out the sides of the rails or something like that you know um but it's all about just reducing that high pressure um, and giving the water direction or an escape Um, and the diffuser gives it direction the s duct gives it an escape here so
4: you know i was watching uh kai lenny talk about the first system that you described what was the name mm-hmm. of that the one where you have like like five the diffuser the diffuser so he has five little yep. kind of inch high fins that are gl- mm-hmm. super glued along mm-hmm. the the fl- like the back the very back bit of a board and it, yep. so i guess you know you, if you imagine listeners a, a squash tail like a square tail board rather than a pintail or a fish um and I mean, the first thing was, you know, obviously this was a, he, you know, obviously he's sponsored by them. And I felt like the way he was talking about them, he was like, he was pushing the, how much they helped his performance a little too mm-hmm. much, which yeah, just made me yeah. a little skeptical. And it, I, I would love uh-huh. to hear surfers that were not sponsored just talking about it more honestly. That was one thing. Yeah. And and then I was thinking, all right, you know, mate, I, I was watching the race car video that you sent us to the link to before that was how i was able to throw up the dirty air coming off the tires bit, which i was very proud of <laughs> good job yeah yep. but then i was thinking i mean i guess there's one key difference which is that with a race car you are just looking for speed that's the only metric that you're trying to achieve whereas with a surfboard
2: you've got you know it's not just how fast can you go across the wave a car is also needs maneuverability and that's a- and that's what the downforce is is for is if you wanted the car yeah. to go fast or faster you would take a lot of the downforce off the car and it would go in a straight line like an absolute rocket but you turn the wheel and it would just keep going straight
3: i have a question about the diffusers because like you mentioned there kai had them on the back of the board from from what i saw when when we're talking about that frontal drag would it be possible kind of like with the the race cars to have that then closer to the nose or would that not do the same
0: absolutely you would you're absolutely right. So the, we'll talk a little bit about why Kai has them at the back of the board. And that's a different uh, uh, problem in itself. That's what we call flow detachment. But that, you're absolutely right. We would have the diffuser system within that dirty air just under the nose. Um, it has to be within the turbulent air for it to make a difference you might have it further down to continue the the encouragement of of water flow to continue straight Um, but you're right the the, if we want to help with that boundary layer we want the the diffuser system to be within that dirty air at the front yeah and
2: in fact if you look at a lot of um boat designs um the designs of the front of the boat will have various chines or or keel lines uh to do exactly the same thing to 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 reduce the frontal drag, but also to to channel it and, and push it in the right direction,
0: yeah, yeah, especially on flat bottom boats like pontoons and things like that, you know where you have yeah. a huge uh, frontal drag and a huge high, high turbulence build up in front yeah of or yeah. potential for yeah yeah, yeah, absolutely um, so actually talking about KAI's system now, he, they use it at the back for exactly the same reason it 's just a case of trying to get that water to go straight. And straight out the back as, as efficiently as possible. Now, the design of the tail, you know, of course, is going to determine how much of that uh, flow detachment there is. Um, you know, like Harry mentioned earlier, pintail or the sci-fi or something like that with these pointy bats tails. And in the CFD images, you can see how the sci-fi is much better at diffusing that 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 flow detachment or that that turbulent high pressure at the back of the board and getting it back to low fast uh flowing waves uh water yeah. for listeners
4: who don't know it's, it's basically just one of the you can google it and actually while will's talking you know if you've got a phone in front of you and you look up minx system kyle just do an image search so you can see that that's probably helpful we
2: will have uh we will have images in the show notes at uh surf simply.com Slash podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the sci-fi is just a
4: unique appearing surfboard. In as far as the tail isn't a squash or a V, it kind of has lots
0: of little half moons What's in it. What's called a bat tail. Um, and so that board performs much better at dispersing this uh, this turbulent air or or turbulent water rather, or, or this dirty flow of water where it's this high pressure. And it's just a series of points that help uh, you know lead that flow of water away from the board and same with a pin tail it would do something similar but squash tails even round tails that are particularly wide um, have this issue with having a a high drag tail Um, so putting a diffuser on the back is absolutely gonna you know make some gains now the the gains here we're talking about is potentially very small you know we have to work out if the the drag created by having these fins on the back is Lower than the original drag in the first place, and of course i don 't know the answer to that. Someone will have to work that out um, but you know in in motor racing generally, especially in Formula One, you know the pinnacle of of motor racing, you know tenths are how these cars are compared with each other you know if you're in a within a tenth of your rival, then you're pretty close you know and there's occasions where you 'll uh, you know race car drivers will finish a lap which might be a mile long or something like that and be within a hundredth of a second of each other so these tiny little gains are proportionally impactful to the 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 team as a whole uh, and we might not be looking for those microscopic gains, um, but certainly in the pr- you know in in pro surfing perhaps uh, the pinnacle of our industry, maybe those gains are going to be uh, you know impactful. You know, particularly surfing, wave, you know, tubing ways where you need speed, you want low drag, all that kind of stuff. You know, where we're going for bigger boards, for straighter rails, for quad sets or setups. Maybe it's also worth thinking. Right, let's. You know, if it's a if it's chopu and it's a left hander, maybe let's put some diffusers on the inside rail. You know, something like that that can that can really help make that little difference. I mean,
3: maybe that's your make or break on mm-hmm. on making it out of the barrel. Uh, yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah, but I think as well is 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 there not also the, Regardless of, you know, 10th of second improvements that you see in F1, you know, if if you look at uh, late 60s, early 70s Formula One car, and again, maybe we can put a um, a photo into the show notes um, and compare that with a Formula One car 10 years later, the, the, the whole design philosophy changed. Like you said, I, I don't think it's a bad analogy. If you look at a surfboard now and think of that as a, you know, a, a late 60s formula one car and how that was able to attack uh, a race course Mm -hmm. versus how a modern formula one car is able to attack a race course like that's not tenths of seconds that's Mm. you know possibly even in the realm of minutes you know around the race course Mm -hmm. but it was a complete quantum shift in in how you're thinking about about race car design and going from you know really not even considering aerodynamics very much to really focusing on those aerodynamics and mm-hmm. same again with with uh america's cup yachts uh offshore racing power boats you know the the amount that 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 careful consideration of hydrodynamics has changed the sport i think there is huge potential for that same thing to happen within surfing it's just that yeah we we've never we first of all never had a baseline of data as to what the water flow is doing. You know, the, the first time I saw it was was the stuff Ricardo Ross has been doing, and I still think that there there are maybe some things that that could be tweaked about his uh, stuff because a lot of his is based on data from flat water, not not on mm-hmm. waves, but that that's a side thing. But there hasn't been an attitude within the industry of trying to improve in that way. And it's it's great to see, you know, from his website that he's working with Firewire. He's working mm-hmm. with DeKine on, uh, you know, improving the hydrodynamics of a, a leash hanging off the back of the board. He's working with uh, a board shaper in Italy on, on improving the design. So, you know, this is just that first time that this is happening.
4: I mean, I think while while we all enjoy surfing different kinds of retro boards and they all had... Uh, those fun elements to it whether it's a log or a twin fin you can say with surfing and with all sports that when you look at what people considered the pinnacle of high performance equipment some number of years later it always seems almost comical that people thought that was seriously the right thing to be using and there's no reason to think that we're any different right now other than just our intuition telling us that we've probably figured it all out now so the one thing you can say with quite a high level of confidence is that at some point future surfers will look back on what we're considering high performance equipment now and think it's quite comical absolutely
0: yeah Yeah. um and so the the last piece of uh of tech that we might be able to use from formula one or from motor racing generally and this you know it it we're almost going to feel ridiculous by me even mentioning it. And that is simply the length of the vehicle or the length of the vessel. Um, Typically, high-speed cars or or Lansby record cars or anything to do with speed generally, they're incredibly long. A Formula One car is five meters long. And even, you know, slightly more regular manufacturers like McLaren, who make, not that regular, make supercars. But, you know, they have uh, a... Two versions of the same car one is a 720s which is a road-going hypercar 210 mile an hour car something like that but they then have a high speed version and it's 60 centimeters longer um, and the reason they do that is to allow the body line to have a smoother longer softer exit point to be able to get that uh, that that roof line closer to the road, so that that drag caused behind the vehicle is reduced. You know, and if we we know typically that you you know when when the waves are big when you need to go faster, we take bigger boards out. One for the volume, one for the rail length, but also it is going to help just uh, separate that flow from the underside of the board with a little less turbulence. And so you know if you uh, if we keep all of the other attributes, the same, the entry rocker, the outline, the rail length, the, the rail straightness, sorry, the volume width, apart from that final portion of the board, which maybe uh, continues narrowing or softens out that exit rocker, which is going to help with with lower in that drag. But it's a 6.6 six rather than the 6.2. We're going to be able to make these, you know, tenths that the Formula One car
2: might in gains. I guess the, the only... The only slight adjustment, because that's very true, that, that with um, within boats, there's a very um, fixed equation as to how mm-hmm. increasing the length of the boat will increase its top speed. Mm-hmm. But that's when the boat is in displacement mode and is pushing the water aside as it moves through the water. That does change when the, uh, the boat does lift up and start skimming over the water and, and goes into a planing mode. And at that point, actually, the aspect ratio of the board um, can become quite important. We, we start to think of it mm-hmm. more like a, a wing of an aeroplane, and changing that aspect ratio can be can be really really important. And as you stretch the board and make it longer and thinner, you're actually pushing the aspect ratio slightly in the wrong direction for mm. efficient planing. Right, good to know. So, th- th- with with surfing, it's one of the things that's going to be a really tricky balance is that you do have, on the one hand, extending the board outwards can help with a whole bunch of hydrodynamics. And at the same time, squishing it up can help with a whole bunch of hydrodynamics. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, that's going to be a really tricky uh, set of things to, to balance yeah. against each other. Yeah, what we
0: need is someone to work out a system to be able to study these flow patterns and and the impact yes. of of you know because again I, all we're doing here is kind of speculating you know we're looking at things that kind of make sense that they might work and applying yeah. them to what we kind of understand and you know there's, there's there's so much unknown that it's it is a guessing game at this point.
2: The the really the thing that's really hard right now is is that. You know, in order to to run, you know, computational fluid um, simulations now are relatively easy. You used to need like supercomputers to run them. But now, you know, a a good laptop can run basic computational flow simulations. But the problem is you have to have baseline data for what the water is doing. And, And when you're talking about a car moving through still air or a boat moving through a lake, that's really easy. That's, you know, you can simulate that because you, you, you've basically got a static field. What's really hard with a surfboard is that you you have the surfboard moving forwards across the water, but then you also have the water flow coming up the wave face, and those are in two different directions. And then you have the pitch and roll angles of the board constantly changing on the fa- i'm using my hands a lot listeners i can see this in the video now but you have the pitch and the roll angle of the board changing a lot and that then changes how the both of those uh flows the one up the face of the wave and the one you know just in line with the direction of travel uh hit the board so there's a huge amount going on there and we just don't have the baseline data and mm-hmm. um i yeah. think i, I, I following um you know i am assuming that people are trying to work on that but it there just isn't the same need for it you know surfers are the only people that need that information because all of these you know boat designers and stuff they're not trying to track across the face of a wave when they're when they're riding so nobody else has any use for the information that 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 we're trying to gather and Mm. it's really complicated and expensive uh information to acquire yeah um, And I will just say to the
4: listeners like we, we often get people who are researching different aspects of hydrodynamics specifically as it relates to surfing. Reach out to us on the show, and if you know if you're out there working on any of this stuff, we'd would really love to hear from you.
0: And if you're a Formula One fan, I also want to hear.
1: From
4: you. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I'm I'm wondering if like they could do some of that tracking with downwind racing too, on with um like paddle boards and skis and that type of thing.
2: Well, it would certainly be it would be relevant information for that.
3: Yeah, just thinking with the the prone paddling and um. They're catching the wave. They're catching the swell.
2: No, it would be a case of getting, uh, so again, what you need to do is you need to get an awful lot of uh, sensors and you uh, need to put them onto the bottom of the surfboard Um, and you need to put it in the water and you need to record that data. And, and, And you can then use that data to build a computer model that you could then, Tweak and adjust and see see you know try changing the shape of the surfboard and see what would happen, and again, although you could get a certain amount of it from downwind paddleboarding, you know again, you're never turning you know ninety degrees to the wave with the wave face standing up and becoming almost vertical, um, which is that that really that's that's where we want a surfboard to operate yeah well, I have a formula one question for you, yeah.
4: Is it true that uh, when a race car goes, a Formula One car goes over a certain speed, you could, in theory, have the track go upside down because the downward force is greater than the weight of the car?
0: Yeah, that's very true. And it's actually not you know that the formula 1 cars relative to the amount of downforce they produce they're incredibly that their, their you know weight to downforce ratio is is almost the same if you imagine it's say you know they weigh like a 1000 pounds or something well the downforce just from the rear wing alone might be like 700 pounds and then there's the front wing then there's the the underside you know uh, the the aerodynamics of the barge But like it's it's amazing i think now this year or what would have been the 2020 year of course the season's not but the mercedes w11 has actually more downforce um needed to account for its own weight if it was the, on the underside of a tunnel even some road going cars have that you know the the Bugatti chiron it has this giant giant um active aero rear wing so it means it it, it moves relative to how fast it's going you know to determine how much downforce it needs to create um, it, the the chiron just as a it just came to mind the rear wing also acts as an air brake. So it stands upright, kind of 90 degrees to the flow of air to physically slow the car down. It has normal brakes as well, but it has this contributory brake. Um, and it has, believe it or not, just the rear wing has the stopping power of a Volkswagen Golf um,
2: just attached within that rear wing, which is amazing, you know. And that's presumably due to... The treacle effect. What we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier with, you know, the, the faster you go, the thicker the air is. Absolutely,
0: Um, Well, cool. Thank you guys for for humoring me on another uh, adventure in Formula
2: One. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully, it was interesting. (laughs) All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is about all that we have time for in this episode. Hopefully, with the resort not being open right now, we will be able to sit down a little sooner than next October uh, and get another podcast out for you. But in the meantime, we have our regular What to Watches, and as well as our regular kind of What to Watches, we thought we would throw in our sort of favorite podcasts or books that are keeping us entertained while uh, while we're all stuck at home. So, uh, Roo, what have you got for us? You know, I got the Nobody Surf app for my Apple
4: TV, which is nice. Now, when I'm just kind of pootling around the house listening to a podcast, I always put on Nobody Surf's with the volume down in the background, and... Um, There was a a film that came up on there last week just called Good to Know Ya. And it's this bunch of uh, women longboarders who are really good longboarders and they're surfing. I watched it with a volume down, so I don't know where they were. But they were surfing... They were surfing somewhere. And the
2: soundtrack could be terrible. <laughs> no, actually, it, the
4: soundtrack is really good. It's kind of like a folksy lo-fi soundtrack. I, I did watch it later with the sound up and it was cool. But I can't remember where they're surfing. They're surfing somewhere really hideously cold.
3: I want to say they were in Canada, Ru.
4: I think it does look like Canada um and there's like lots of shots of them kind of goofing around outside the water and it just it had a really slow pace to it and it was shot with so much love and charm and i thought you know in the days now where we're all sitting around at home for hours on end you don't need to rush your way through a lightning edit surf movie uh and this one is just really beautiful And if you want to feel a nice warm glow inside uh yeah this is definitely a good one to watch
2: yeah and uh and what what's uh, what's your podcast recommendation i've been Uh, You know, a lot of listeners will know that
4: I'm a big fan of uh, of the Sam Harris Making Sense podcast. And I think he's had some of the most interesting conversations around the coronavirus crisis and the Skeptics Guide to the Universe podcast that I'm a big fan of. Again, listeners have heard me talk about that before. To be honest, they have this new section at the beginning called What's the Word? And it gets on my nerves so much that quite often I can't get through it and I
2: have to turn the show off. You know, you know, there's a skip forward button.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
4: no, I know. But um, I really miss Rebecca Watson, the old host. She was amazing. Anyway, I've really dived back into that recently with this happening, being able to get your hands on accurate scientific information um, that isn't, you know, politically charged or anything like that is, is so important. So the SGU's been interesting. I've also discovered a new podcast that I hadn't heard before called Recode Decode, and they interview some idiots like Deepak Chopra, but they also interview some really fascinating people like Shamath, and I think this is how you say his last name, Pali Habatia, um, and also Gary Vaynerchuk. Those were two recent discussions that that I thought were really interesting. And they were, they were about what the economic fallout of the coronavirus crisis is going to be, just two different perspectives on that. There we go. Uh, Teal, how
2: about yourself?
3: So my film that I really enjoyed watching is the, it's called The Electric Wave, and it's Steph Gilmore and Coco Ho and Leah Dawson surfing the surf ranch at nighttime.
2: It's cool, isn't it?
3: It's beautiful. I I kind of would like to go and do that at some point. Maybe, <laughs> maybe get that similar video of getting barreled with the lighting in the background. But
4: that, that was the one that was made by Audi, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I remember when Max uh, from Surf Ranch was down at Christmas. He was telling me all about it and uh, how like how much work went into shooting that. It was a it was a big deal. But that was one of the highest budget productions, I think of anything that's been shot at ranch.
3: Ah, It's it's beautiful. If you have the opportunity to watch it, I highly recommend it. Um, and then I I don't listen to a ton of podcasts. What I have been doing lately is listening to Hoy Hablamos because I'm trying to better my Spanish. Um, and it's like 20-minute episodes where the guy talks about um, news or cultural things all in Spanish. But... What I have been doing a lot more of is reading. So um, a couple books that I've just been reading, they're always fantasy, guys. I, I love fantasy books. Um, the first one is called An Unkindness of Magicians by Cat Howard. Pretty good. And then the other one that I've been reading is actually a Dungeons and Dragons, um, part of the Dungeons and Dragons series. And it's called The Companions by R.A. Salvatore. And that one is very good. So if you need a good read um, and go into the fantasy world, I'd highly recommend both of those.
2: Very cool. I've actually just on your recommendation, Teal, I'm about a quarter of the way now through the Starless Sea, um, which I'm enjoying.
3: That's one of my favorites as well
2: there we go will
0: what about yourself i've got a couple of videos um need essentials they've been making some beautiful videos with Torin martin for the past year or so i'm not sure how long exactly he's been sponsored by them but they just i think it was yesterday in fact it came out and i snuck it into my podcast notes just in time um i don't actually know where it's shot it might be iceland it might be alaska something incredibly snowy Um, but it's him on kind of alternative boards longer boards twin fins things like that in these crazy snowy mountainous uh you know shots on these empty waves um and it's really beautiful it's it's and it's of course he's an amazing surfer so that's definitely one to check out it's only a few minutes long i love watching Torin martin
4: surf Mm -hmm. like he's i mean he's uh he rides a lot of those longer twin fins with like rounded tails and stuff yeah
0: yeah he's got a few of those boards in in the film yeah and they're so beautiful i don't know
4: maybe it's just a personal preference thing but I love watching twin fins on movies you know more more mm-hmm. than watching thrusters yeah they just look so fast and smooth and he almost
0: makes a man bun cool <laughs> he's got a big beard as well at the moment so yeah he doesn't <laughs> but just he almost does <laughs> Um and you know obviously we've all got a lot of time on our hands at the moment and Nathan Florence has been putting out some you know just some uh vlogs about his life on the north shore which is interesting but a couple of days ago he put a, a an hour long Q&A um with some really you know interesting explanations about how he surfs big waves and the the physical and emotional and technical aspects of that process um and it's you know there's a little bit of waffle in there as well because it's just an hour long shot in a you know, a MacBook camera and he's just talking to the camera to the whole time, but like put it on like a podcast and just listen to his stories in the background. It it really is amazing. And not everyone has those experience and can convey them in a, you know, in a way that's at least somewhat entertaining. And I think he just about has that ability to do so. And and it's pretty
2: interesting. Some of the things he says. I actually think Nathan Florence is, is really, really good. Mm The, the, the stuff he does, he doesn't, I think he just needs to spend a little bit more time preparing before he records his audio because the, the information that's in there, I think, is very good. But like yeah. you say, sometimes he just gets a bit waffly and a bit kind of lost in the weeds that, that if he prepped a script beforehand, he might not do. But yeah, I, I've been really impressed with what he's been putting out. Mm-hmm. I love his Instagram as well.
0: If anyone he- heard our podcast, the first record before anyone edits it, I think we're all, <laughs> we're all victim we're all to guilty the old waffle. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, the podcast, now I've got to say, I don't know if anyone's seen Tom Segura, his stand-up specials on Netflix. He has three or four on there. Um, I love him. He's such a great comedian. He tells some really fantastic stories, but he is he's one of those comedians that it's on the edge of what is acceptable or not. So I don't know whether I should <laughs> recommend this at all or not. Um, We're but judging he, you. Yeah, yeah, you, maybe you should, but no one hold me responsible if you're offended by any of Tom Segura's jokes. But Tom and his wife, Christina Pazizky, she they have a husband and wife podcast, um, and it's essentially them just talking about their life and experiences and but you know both of them are, are pretty accomplished in the world of comedy and writing and things like that and they've got some great stories and their interaction is just hilarious you know it's clearly two individuals who really know everything about each other and know how to push each other's buttons as well as being great comics themselves um you know it's a it's an awesome podcast to listen you know floating on a on a uh, lilo in your above ground pool so <laughs> uh, but it's called your mom's Eating jerky, exactly. (laughs) But it's called Your Mom's House. Eating jerky. Um, So take a look at that. (laughs) Just, just, this is, I just popped into my head, but on the subject of
4: how entertaining it can be to watch the interaction of two people who obviously love each other very much and have an intimate relationship, but are both quite quick and funny, and you don't often see them in that context. Just before, like, we started recording this morning, I was having a cup of coffee and watching uh, some CNN clips on YouTube. And Chris Cuomo, Mm -hmm. uh, the, you know, the CNN um talking head and then his brother governor cuomo andrew is it Mm -hmm. who's the governor of new york who's been heading up the crisis right and and as you guys may know chris has got covid19 and he's like locked in the basement of his house but anyway you know you're seeing governor cuomo dealing with this awful situation in new york and then today chris interviewed governor cuomo for cnn and like in the middle of this horrible bleak situation suddenly both of them regress into just being two brothers poking fun at each other and it's like it's so charming and heartwarming and uplifting it's only like a six minute video uh, it just they put it up this morning but it's I don't think it was supposed to be that it just ended up being that and it's really really good anyway if you want to have a smile on your face that's a good one
2: my suggestions um, I've got actually rather than one video I've got a series for you um, Vans uh, put up season two of uh, The Weird Waves uh, with Dylan Graves. I really enjoyed it. It's like a little travel thing. He goes off and, and finds weird novelty waves around the world. I think in this series, he goes and surfs. You know, the, when the icebergs fall off glaciers and it creates little waves somewhere, so he went and did that in Alaska. Uh, there's a bit where boats come in through a harbour in Portugal and he's surfing that. Um, when, I, I have I a question. Did, when
4: they do that, yeah. are they just mm-hmm. waiting for a bit to fall off or is someone going up yeah. like... So they're literally just sitting, and I I assume those bits fall off like, what, one a day, one every two or three days? Depends on the glacier. Like, some glaciers roll pretty quick. So they're potentially sitting there in a wetsuit, just waiting for two or three or four days, and then it, like, slips down, and they're like, (laughs) oh, and then it doesn't move,
2: and they're like, all right. (laughs) Yeah. And they sit back down again. Yeah. Yeah, watch the clip. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was uh, a a good series. I think he's a good host. For podcasts, I've got two suggestions for you. Um, One is uh, 13 Minutes to the Moon, which is just going into its second. In fact, all three things that I'm suggesting to you are in their second season. So 13 Minutes to the Moon is the BBC did a really, really cool season on the moon landing and broke down all the audio and all the people that were involved in, in, in the moon landing. And now this second season is focusing on Apollo 13. Um, when they had the explosion and they, you know, the guys had to, um, try to figure out how to keep them alive and get them back to earth. Okay. And it's, it's, they talk to the astronauts, but they also talk to all the guys that are in mission control and really go into the technology and the, the construction of the vehicles and, you know, why everything's so important. So it's, it's super, in, it's really, really well done series. I really enjoyed it. Um, and then the second podcast that uh, I just really enjoy, it was uh, Stephen Fry's Seven Deadly Sins, which he did season one actually was completely different and it was on the sort of advances in information technology. It's called The Leap Years, I think. But then they've just rebranded the podcast and put season two out as the uh, Seven Deadly Sins. And Stephen Fry is one of those people who can use words in the same way that an artist uses a paintbrush. Um, and it's it just really beautiful writing, but really beautiful speaking and, and What's the word? Oratory. Or- oratory. Yeah, really beautiful oratory. Or- Oratoriness. Oratory, <laughs> speaky, wordy things. I've been locked in a room mm, for Harry's long.
0: doing the painting by numbers version of speaking. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know
4: what? I agree. Stephen Fry's voice is amazing. Yeah. But my, having had my nieces for the last 10 years just play Stephen Fry reading Harry Potter on uh. loop.
2: Yeah. every hour that they're awake since they've been here, I now just can't hear his voice anymore. You, do you know what? Just as a counter to that, you should listen to the one, to the Seven Deadly Sins on Lust. Aww. Because he spends a whole <laughs> okay. bit where he's just using every rude word for human genitalia that exists and it's just very funny (laughs) to hear someone that normally reads children's stories (laughs) i might take that as
4: i might take just that as an audio clip and then make it the ringtone on the phone (laughs)
0: um
2: anyway those two podcasts i really enjoyed them um they're they're really good to just kind of switch off and like you say we'll just kind of float and and enjoy listening to, to voices and storytelling so Um, Okay, ladies and gentlemen, well, look, I hope you've enjoyed the show. Um, Hopefully uh, this is all recorded correctly on all our various devices and and we'll get the show out to you as soon as we can. Um, I hope you are all doing well through this crisis um, and that we'll see you all on the other side, if not before. Bye. Bye guys, Bye.
0: stay safe. That was the Surf Simply Podcast from the Surf Simply Coaching Resort in Costa Rica. For more about Surf Simply's video coaching courses for experienced surfers and technical coaching for entry-level surfers, go to surfsimply.com